right. Welcome back to Science in Between. And what are we on? Episode 14. Episode 14. Right. We got past, past the unlucky 13 and yep. we're still here. We're still here. It was here. Baker, Baker's dozen. It wasn't the unlucky. It was, right. it, was, it was one better than, you know, it's, it's the surprise one. Oh. You know, when you order 12 and you get 13, they're like, That's right. it's, just, it's just the deal. It's the Baker's dozen. You just get one. But what what happens if you order thirteen to get a fourteen? Oh no, you can't do that. Yeah. Well, you know these are in places where the things you order come in dozens, right? Sure, like donuts. But, yeah, like donuts being the the, the quintessential yeah. example of that. Yeah, but, but you don't ever get like eggs in thirteen. You don't get the thirteenth egg. <clears throat> well, in in fairness, that is the first part of the phrase, which is baker's dozen. So somebody has oh. to be baking the thing. Uh, wow, mind blown, Scott. Yeah, thank you. That's what I'm okay, here for. This- uh, and so that is Scott and, and I am Ollie and this is episode 14 in Science in Between. And I, I guess this is, this is my topic. I threw this out this week, so I thought I should do the setup a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was thinking about after, I don't know, maybe our, our, our draft, you know, last week. Um, was that last week? Yes, it was our uh, last week. It was episode. in the past. It was and, in the past. And we do not name days. It was Blur's Day. It was some day. It was Blur's Day. It was not... <laughs> La- the, the last episode, we did our content draft. Yeah. And I thought maybe taking a different take on that would be, would be good. Um, the things we wish we would have learned in our science classrooms. Um, and the reason I was, I was kind of thinking a little bit about how like those books were popular when we were, uh, I don't know, maybe teenagers. Everything I wish I'd learned, I learned in ki- kindergarten or everything I needed to learn. That was it. Everything I yeah, needed to learn needed. in life. Yeah, I learned in kindergarten. And I was like, okay, can we say the same thing in science class? Everything I needed to learn in life, I, I learned in science class. Maybe. But what are some of the things that we wished we had learned in science class that we didn't? And I, and I think just to kind of put some boundaries on this, uh, probably don't need to talk about like things that don't relate to science, right? I wish I would have learned, <laughs> you know? Thanks for clarifying that boundary. Oh, I know. But, it's good. Well, I don't want you to come in from left field because you tend to break the rules, Scott. That's, that's your Yeah, way. that's me. That's you, the rule breaker. I, always, I, I break the rules and I make it more esoteric. <laughs> you do make it more esoteric. I, I've, been, I've been accused of doing that myself. But. Yeah, I, well, I'm, I actually was being facetious. I think you're the one that really makes it esoteric. I know, I know Scott. I, know. I, I make up that. words, you make it esoteric. Well, there you go. All okay. right, so, so I guess I'll throw, I'll throw something out. Okay, all right, very good, very good. Um, I'm gonna throw something out. I, I think the big thing for me was when I got to college, um, and I started I, maybe not my my freshman year, maybe more my like sophomore year in uh, advanced classes. Uh, I started to realize that science wasn't this discrete subjects that we were presented with in you know elementary school, middle school. It's like you know physical science over here and biology over here and earth space science. And I think as you get further along in any of the sciences, that you realize how interconnected these things are. Um, and I wish at some point, and this is, I guess, a flaw or one of the criticisms we have of science education is we use this sort of like layer cake model, right? Is that we kind of keep them as discrete subjects and we just kind of layer them on top of each other um, when we could probably be teaching this in a more integrated way. Um, but that, I think that's one of the, the challenges for me is looking back and I, I saw physics as something completely removed from chemistry and completely removed from biology when there's so many um, interconnected concepts there that are, are worth studying. So I think and, you, and you felt like you got that sense when you got to undergrad? 
Uh, probably in the, more by advanced classes when I started to have the opportunity. I mean, I, I uh, to a degree, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, I didn't see much biology in my statistical <clears throat> mechanics class, you know. No, surprisingly. A, or your no. non-Euclidean geometry class, not much right. biology there. It, no, but, <laughs> I, but I think that there were times when I started to, to see, when I would start studying something that I realized, oh, I need to go into this other domain that I really was almost like a, you know, a foreign exchange student in, right? I was going into this other, like, content area where even though I was a science person, I was just like, you know, fish out of water in that area when, you know, these things can be taught in a more connected way. And I just didn't ever experience that. So, yeah. I mean, it's certainly the case that that's not the way schools operate. And um, though I would, I would say from, from my experience, I, I think it got worse for me in undergrad because I, and I think part of that is um, physics and it's sort of first principle nature as a discipline. Um, you know, it meant that, you know, for you and I, or at least I'll speak for me, but I'm assuming it was the same for you. Like having an undergraduate degree in physics meant that I took a lot of physics classes. I took a lot of math classes. Yeah. I took no chemistry classes. I took no biology classes. I took a geoscience class because I was interested in it and I was living in the Rocky Mountains and it was like, that should be a thing that maybe I'd be interested in. That's the only class in science that I recall taking outside of like physics and math. So for me, I, <clears throat> I, I never saw that these were connected. I saw it all as like, this is a domain um, and, and I'm living in it. So, so when did you start to see the connections in, in between classes? In the <sighs> yeah, I'm, I mean, certainly not until, I don't even think I saw them when I was a teacher. So I would say maybe when I started doing teacher education work where I had students in my classes who, um, who were from different domain backgrounds and we would start to talk about things and I would recognize that there was a real, I mean, in the abstract, I think I knew, I mean, I, let's put it this way. I had the interconnected notion that arrogant physics teachers yeah. people have, which is that, yeah, I mean, chemistry basically is applied physics and biology is basically applied chemistry. Earth and space science is a bunch of like applications of physics on a larger scale, scale, unless it's, unless it's astronomy, which is, that's just straight up basically physics. So it's like, for me, it was like, yeah, they're connected because everything's physics. And yeah. so, so I didn't have a, like a nuanced sense of like, if you pick a real phenomenon in the world, it's hard to separate out all these, all these su arbitrary subdisciplines. Yeah, and then if the math people are listening no. to this and they will go, it's all math. No. no there's no math people listening? You know? No, no, I'm just saying they're wrong. I mean, the only reason math exists <laughs> this, this is so that we physics. can do physics. Yeah, right. I mean, otherwise it's just counting and adding up. Like other than that, like what else do you need? Like all that <laughs> other math is all to solve physics problems. I don't know, I don't know what math. Yeah, so, so I think that's a, a real... Uh, challenge for us. I think that's one of those areas where I wish personally I would have learned more of the interconnected concepts, uh, those, you know, across biology and physics and, and, and chemistry. What about you? Something, something you, you wish you would have learned? Yeah. I mean, I think the big one for me probably in retrospect is um, I wish I had some sense that science had anything to do with the actual world. That's my right. third one. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like, um, you know, we did, I did a lot of math problems in physics. Um, I did a lot of memorizing biology. I did a lot of, um, 
rote labs in chemistry where I, you know, collected, you know, mixed stuff together and measured stuff and did calculations of error and all this stuff. But, you know, and, and teachers would, as they do, gesture towards, well, this is important because blah. But, you know, it, none of it was ever contextualizing those things. It was always some abstracted task that you were doing um, whose only purpose was really to do the task, right? So it wasn't like, um, now, in fairness, um, that's also why I liked physics, because I was good at that, those kinds of right. tasks. And um, it didn't require me actually to think that hard. Like I could really, I could do physics pretty like, easily. Give me more problems. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, but that, you know, like the, especially I think in the disciplines that I didn't care for, right? So in physics, it mattered less because I just would do that stuff because it was like, okay, I, I, I'm sure I'll solve more projectile motion problems. I can do that right, right left and center. But, um, you know, like, especially in biology, I think I was given, I, I was done a major disservice by that field for me personally. I mean, I think it does this disservice to a lot of people, but um, that there was no sense, even though this is, it seems like it should be absolutely evident why these things are connected to real things in the world. It was just rote memorization of lots of yeah. parts. Like here's the parts of the cell, here's the parts of the body, here are the systems of the body, here's the, and, but none of it helped me understand like anything about my body or about the world or about, you know, anything like, you know, I, you know, it was super frustrating. And I think one of the biggest disappointments um, looking back that I have about how science was taught. I, I think I said that was one of mine as well. And I think that for me, I think about the things that were going on in the world at the time when I was like a middle school student or a high school student and all the opportunities I could have had for making applications to things. And I mean, I just think about like, so I was like a, like a high school senior, uh, maybe junior when uh, the space shuttle blew up. Right. And just that would have been a really good opportunity to talk about all sorts of scientific concepts and and we approached it you know as a as a tragedy as it was um but there was also lots of opportunities for us to talk about the concepts of science in our classrooms and i i took you know i think my junior and senior year i took two science classes each year so i had graduated with like six science classes under my belt or something mm -hmm. and so there it's not that i wasn't taking a science class it was just right. that they were the the classroom walls were not connected to the outside world at all they just blocked everything out and it yeah. was like um yeah so i think that that's that's an area that i i look back and think definitely that would be a, an area that i i wish i would have learned a little bit more of the applications of things rather than you know hey here's 10 problems to do yes can you give me an 11th one because that was so much fun yeah, yeah. give me one that's got a little trick to it like yeah. the wording's a little different or something. So I got to figure out like, yeah. Yeah. I think the, you were talking about memorization and I, I will say that I fully expected that the need for memorizing and repeating the scientific method. Uh, I, I would think that the way it was taught to me, that it was something I was going to be asked all the time. Like I was going to have to, like, I'd be trying to make a reservation at a, a restaurant. Well, can you tell me the scientific yes. method? Can you repeat it? And it's like, oh, uh, what no. is the step after generating a <laughs> hypothesis? Yeah. Click. It's like, oh, 
darn um and then you have to like brush up on it like i thought like the utility of that i thought was going to be like everywhere like i thought that that was going to be the i don't know the 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 pass card to get me in everything and because it was like taught in every single science class we did and never like used because everything we were doing was we never applied it um we always did verification labs if we did labs at all yeah. And, and sometimes they would call things in that a hypothesis, right? Yes. But they, they were more not asking you to act, to do the process of writing a hypothesis uh, or making a prediction. It was all about like, did you get the answer that we mm -hmm. wanted you to do? Like, what's the point? Right. Of, it's basically so saying, you know, what's the hypothesis? What, what's the point of this? Why, why are we doing this? Yeah. You know? Well, it was right. always and to that... prove something, right? It was always to, to prove that this law is right or to prove that, right. you know, science doesn't do right science yeah. doesn't prove stuff right. yeah and the irony is like <clears throat> you know it's not really a hypothesis because you could get it wrong right, right. <laughs> like you could have the wrong answer for what's the hypothesis and that's not a thing in science yeah. like you can you can you can um disprove a hypothesis in fact that's really what science is about right sure but but in a a priori you can't say that's that's the that hypothesis is wrong like you can't say that Right. That's the whole point of science is that you're hypothesizing things that you don't know. And then you're collecting data to decide whether that hypothesis holds or does not hold. Right. But, but yeah. Yeah. yeah the so irony of the scientific method, the scientific method, I, like I said, I thought that was going to be something that was going to be, have much greater utility than it proves to be. Like, I don't think it was in my college classes was ever something I talked about, like in, the research classes I did, it was much messier than that. It was never a like, you know, well, let's, what is the hypothesis? What is, it's just like, you kind of do it and it's much more of an, you know, organic, you know, nonlinear process than, you know, like whoever, yeah. yeah. Well, you know who, who wrote down the, the scientific method, right? Are you familiar with that? Oh no, this is, yeah. this is fascinating. <laughs> no, tell me, just, tell me so, more, Scott. Okay, Ollie. Um, John Dewey is the one who named oh, this. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. So that's the other irony of this whole thing. Is, and I'm a John Dewey fanboy. And... Well, as you should be. Because the point is, you know, this is the same as what happened with like, um, you know, Toulmin and argumentation, right? So you get these philosophers and they write a description of, of, a, of a practice, basically a discourse practice or a community norm or however you want to describe what these things are, right? And they try to, from an analytical point of view, from a philosophically analytical point of view, they try to characterize it. And then people turn those things into rules. Like this, that, that thing, that, that need or that, that thing that people do is, is a, chronic problem in education right where they take something that's meant to be analytical and descriptive and turn it into a rule that right. it, that then use, gets used as a bludgeon right i mean i the my my famous my example of the fame the the most famous of these i think is the multiple intelligences i mean right. poor howard gardner Right. He was not trying to say like the like you you only get one of these yeah. and you got to figure out which kind you are like, you know, if people understood what he was trying to do, we'd be in a much better place in education. But it turned into this bludgeon of these. This is the way kids are. Right. And we're going to bucket them. Right. Like Put them in a bucket. 
you're 10% of this and 20% of that and 50% of that. And then people start saying, well, I'm not a visual person. I'm a kinesthetic learner. It's like, no, no, no. Can we stop this before I have to reach over there and slap you in the face? Cause, but that idea of like, okay, we have, we have a thing that's laid out. We have, we've built ourselves a hammer. We got to go pound some nails. Well, I think that people gravitate to, you know, having order in the disorder, Right. And I think that gives them that clarity that they say, okay, well, because they see learning is messy. And they're, they also see that there are times when they haven't been able to learn things without great effort. Right. So they go, yeah, I didn't learn that. And it, it was really hard for me to learn that. So clearly there must be something about my learning. And then they, they you know, when Gardner presents this, it's like, oh, well, there it is. That's the clarity that's it. in the chaos, right? And that's the same thing with, you know, maybe Dewey. And like I said, I'm a Dewey fanboy. And that yeah. kind of disappoints me that he played a role in the mass memorization of the, a version of the scientific process. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it is, there's something fundamentally human about it too, right? I mean, it's the same way that we are about like diet, right? It's like, well, if you eat a grapefruit every morning, you're going to be thin. It's like, well, no, I mean, maybe, but not. I mean, it, it, you know, we like these simple rules about the way that we can behave that will solve major problems, right? And, um, and I do think that is a that is a problem that happens to us. You know, it's it's why productivity planners and gurus make so much money because they're like, well, if you just follow my five step right. plan for organizing your life and making your to do lists in the format that I do, then pretty soon you're going to be you know king of the world. And it's oh boy, okay, we're off on a tangent. I think. Well, that's we got we go down that rabbit hole, and that's how that's. <laughs> The glory of the show of the science. Glory of the show. Yeah, it's like what the show is all about. We go down the rabbit hole and it's stuff that's in between science. It's not actually science. It's a bunch of other stuff. That's the great thing about the name too. Is that it's, it's <laughs> let's science, just do whatever. Right. It's science ish. Right. It's it's science and all the things in between. Yeah. Right. There you go. That's what it is. It is. It is. Um, all right. So uh, discrete content areas for me. The memorized. Uh, scientific method. What about you? What else? Um, what else? I mean, so I guess what I, I'm trying to think of, cause I mean, we've covered some of the big ones about like sure. the way, the way science teaching works. I mean, I guess um, one of the things um, I wish my, teach well if i'm now i'm starting to extrapolate so i'll just do that anyway but that's um, that's our way that's our way so i wish um that my science teachers would have taught me that my own ideas about science are useful right so that that is not that is not a thing that is done in schools um which is to say the only useful ideas in the classroom are the teacher's ideas, right? So the teacher has the correct ideas and it's the student's job to gather those and, and remember them. So individual students, whatever their thinking is, is not, is not useful. Right. Um, And we've talked about IRE and how that plays out. You know, this idea of like teachers ask questions that they know the answers to 
the students either get that question right or wrong and then they're evaluated by the teacher and it moves on, right? Well, all of that is about the idea that your ideas, unless they match my ideas as the teacher, are not valuable and they're not really necessary, really. So this, so this IRE stuff is really a sort of theater that we're going to perform um, to make you feel like, you know, to feel good about yourself, frankly. Like a lot of the reason I like science is um, I, I got positive evaluations for my answers to those questions, right? And yeah. a lot of the people in, that were friends of mine who didn't like science, it was the reverse for them. Right. Either because they couldn't do the math or they couldn't remember the, you know, memorize the stuff because it was too strange or esoteric for them or whatever it was. Um, so I was always, you know, that kid with like, oh, oh, you know, I got, yeah. got my hand up. I got my hand up because I know the answer to this one and you're going to call on me and then I'm going to have it. And um, so I think all, all that said, um, I still would have liked to have known that because I think that's important as a future science person to understand that like these ideas came from somewhere. And the reason they came from somewhere is because people were allowed to think that their thoughts had value. Yeah. uh, It's, it's funny that you talk about it that way. Cause I have a, a friend's daughter, uh, a friend of mine, his daughter is taking uh, a a physics class right now. Mm. And so I, I'm always asking, how's it going? What are you learning? And, and so she's a junior in high school and she says, she, can't, she comes to me the other day and she says, Ollie, I hate physics. I hate it. And I go, I'm, I can help you if you need, need help. And she goes, no, I just hate the class. And I go, well, what do you need help with? And she's like, well, I raised my hand and I got three questions wrong in a row. A row. I am never raising my hand again in that class. And so that's just exactly how you know, you're, you're framing it is that this, this student, and she's a, she's a math science kid. This is a kid yeah. who, you know, gets math. And I think it's, it's one of those things, had it been taught differently, this, this, she could easily become a physics person or be a science person. But what she's do, doing now, she's not getting the, she was at the E stage of the IRE. She yeah. got, she didn't get the E and she now got the N. she got she the got N. Nah. 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 And now she's seeing, now she's seeing herself as incapable of that, right? And instead of- I think that's the bad news. Right. And so instead of the teacher asking, so, okay, so why do you, why do you think that? Or what, like, cause there's, you know, something there, right? The way that she sees the world could actually be maybe fertile ground for helping her understand physics or helping her, you know, you know, explore her ideas. Instead, it was- Nah. Right. Well, and it could help other kids in the class understand their ideas. And it could actually help the teacher understand their own ideas about this stuff. Right. I mean, you know, you and I talk about that. Well, lots of people talk about the idea that like they really started to understand their subject when they started teaching it. Right. And part of that is that if you listen to kids even a little bit, you start to understand um, that you don't necessarily understand things as well as you think you do, because you only know the right answer. And that means that you don't actually understand um, much. Right. And, and um, you see this, I see this all the time when I work with, with um, pre-service teachers or in-service teachers, where, you know, you ask them to explain things and quickly their understanding falls apart, even science teachers, because it's not the way we were taught science. So I think, yeah, I mean, my daughter's taking physics right now too, and I'm helping her with that um, to the degree that I can. And she's a math science person. Like she, her, her 
goal right now is to become a, a physician. So she's a, she's more of a biology person, but she's definitely a, a science person. But this idea, like this, it's so toxic, this idea that you're not that kind of person, right? That you're not a physics person because you get three answers wrong. And, and that, like, that's exactly the, the downside of this. Like, what do you do if you don't pay attention to kids' ideas? Like, you, you take away their ability to identify with this area, to care about it, to yeah. have agency in this area, to even feel like they have power to, to act. And I think that um, is just an incredible disservice because there is no such thing as a physics person. Right. Um, but what, what she's saying is my teacher has in their mind, and I'm guessing it's a he, but maybe not. Um, yeah. Uh, has in mind what, a physics person is, and they are expressing that through their evaluation of my ideas. Yeah. And, and that a physics person is the person that knows the right answer when actually it turns out that the best physics people are exactly not those people. They're the ones that don't know the right answer, but they want to know what the right answer is. And they, you know, they get to do that by investigating things that they don't understand. And that leads to all of us being able to understand better, right? Like the, it's not that, tenuous analogy to say like when you do this to kids you are you're doing actually the antithesis of what science is about well, i think that brings me to to the one more uh thing on my list of what i wish i was taught in in science my science classes i think the so it's going to be a kind of a long way to get to the point uh but i've That's been unusual I, for us we usually uh, were i out. were right, right direct, direct very direct um i've been making a lot of ice cream about the last two or three years, I make ice cream, especially over the summer, um, and I've I've gotten pretty pretty good at it. Um, but I, I follow a same base recipe for ice cream making, and uh, when I deviate from that, sometimes I screw up. Uh, I because here's the thing I don't understand is I don't understand the milk to fat to 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 cream to sugar ratio and and all this. And there's some science there. But what I'm doing instead is I'm following a cookbook recipe. Mm. I'm following mm. a recipe in a cookbook. And when I typically start to make an ice cream recipe, I'll just, if I want to, oh, I want to make a pumpkin or I want to make this. I'll go to look at what recipes are doing and try to mimic that as much as possible because I don't really understand the stuff behind it. And I think that if I really want to learn to make really good ice cream, I got to get better at understanding the stuff behind it. Uh, and I think that that's something we got a lot of cookbook sort of labs, verification labs that I can draw upon. When we were doing labs in my middle school and high school experiences, there were a lot of cookbook labs, step-by-step -step processes, very, uh, not very many were open-ended, if at all, if I can remember any of them. And none like really gave me the opportunity to, to start to develop my own questions, my own processes uh, for studying something. Or there was never an opportunity for me to you know, develop my own questions of, of things that I thought were important. And so when I were, was eventually at the point where I could do that in some of my upper level phys physics classes, I, was, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do or how to do that or... And so what I ended up doing was looking around for, okay, I want to study this and how do I do that? And what are some other things that, cause I, I wasn't, I didn't ever develop those skills. So I know that's kind of a long way around to get it, but I was thinking about how the, you know, 
the one thing I wish I, I would learn now is to move from my, that cookbook recipe to, to something more open-ended with my ice cream making. And the mm-hmm. same thing I think with, is a, it was true of my, my physics and research acumen. Mm. Oh, nice. It's not a made up word, but it's a good yeah, word. It is. I was getting esoteric there. You were just for that's, a moment. That's the, I think number five that we've dropped esoteric in this episode. Yeah. Now, oh, number six now. Deep. <laughs> I don't think you can count that one. I don't think oh. it, that that's like defining a word as with the word. You don't get to count it. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, anything else? Anything else on your list? Because I, um, I, I, I hope that you know people listening to this doesn't think they don't think that we're like bashing science teachers. I think I'm I'm just reflecting on my own experiences and just thinking about the things that I wish would have happened differently. And I think that's the same way. That's the way I like to frame it, rather than you know bashing anyone's practice now. Um, maybe you know, and it's not like a subtle at or anything like that. At least that's not my intention at all. No, I mean, I think, I think the reality is um, that, I mean, because for lots of reasons, lately, I think we've all been thinking about race and racism. And, and for me, there are analogs in that, um, like understanding the difference between a system and individual actors in that system is really important. And I think when we're talking about schooling, we're, we're thinking the same way, right? So yeah, the practices of individual teachers is not maybe where we would like to see it, but blaming those teachers, those individual teachers for that, A, isn't going to change the system. It's just going to make people feel bad. And B, it is, is unrealistic. I mean, this, there's all sorts of things like teachers. It's not as if teachers are fully autonomous beings in the school right. system, right? Like That's they can just point. roll in and do whatever they want. Like they're constrained in all sorts of ways. They're constrained in how many minutes a day they see their kids in what they're doing outside that time and what their expectations are within the, in that 45 minutes in terms of, you know, do they have to write a, um, uh, an objective on the board. We were talking about that in my class today. Like, what, well, how, do you have to have that? Is the administrator going to come through and oh, the essential I'll, question, the LEQ, the learning essential yeah, question? Exactly. So you know, like there, there are tons of constraints being on a te- being put on a teacher. Not to mention just the the natural sort of cultural constraints that develop because schools are schools, right? That schools operate in certain ways. And, and so there are norms and there are things that you can't just go in and say, I'm going to do this whole new thing. I mean, I think it's one of the challenges for us as teacher educators who have, um, have a different vision for the way that schools could, could operate and to think about like what are productive um, ways, you know, if we talk about what we wanted our science teachers to teach us, I think both you and I really are describing what we want schools to be like now, right? Yeah. Which is, um, but but changing schools is very difficult, right? Um, in the same way that, you know, again, changing racism is very difficult. It, it requires lots of recognizing that there is a systemic problem that we have to deal with and that dealing with a systemic problem can't be done on a case-by-case basis. It has to be done in, in a case-by-case way, but also simultaneously dealing with the system. And um, yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely not dragging individual science teachers, but what we're saying is um, we have to look at this and, and, take a step back, right? You know, it's like we are doing stuff um, and we're not really taking a step back and being thoughtful about why we're doing it. So I think that's, for me, the most important thing. Like, well, can, th- can we do that? And I think that to, to prove your point, because I'm agreeing with you, 
is to, and I, I, we don't prove things in science, but we're going to do it. Of course, it, you're agreeing me. I mean, I, of not? course, yeah. you're right not. Um, we're talking about our experiences from 30 years ago, right? We're taught, like, we've been out of middle school and high school for over 30 years. And so, at least I have. I mean, I graduated. That's sobering. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I just recently graduated from high school, but I, I'm going to enjoy your story, Grandpa. Yeah. So, there you go. So, <laughs> I, I graduated from, from high school in 1987. Mm-hmm. And so, that's 33 years ago, right? If my math is correct. Yep. And uh, with that, the, some of the same challenges I had as a middle school and high school science teacher, a uh, science student, are still here today they're still pervasive and so that shows that there's something systemic here about how science is taught and and the you know that's the bigger question and and while i and i guess i just had that light bulb go off right now because you know while we're talking about this stuff from you know you know decades ago these are still pervasive problems today yeah and that you're exactly right and that that's it's a perfect um you know symptom of of a of a system right which is to say that yeah i mean we base i graduated from high school in 1985 so so oh look at you you're the old guy yeah well we knew that yeah i I think i don't know if the listeners did so no no well now they do so um so yeah i mean would if you dropped like my daughter into my high school when I was there, would she have trouble adjusting? No. And, and neither if you took me from 1985 and dropped me in and made me, you know, one of my one of my daughter's classmates um, as a senior in high school, would I be struggling to understand how school works and what to do and, and what, what the expectations are? Absolutely not. Like schools look very much like they, they did before. And there, again, there's lots of systemic reasons for that. Um, on the whole, on the whole. Yeah. There are well, like, just as I, we don't want to, you know, identify individual teachers as being, you know, at fault for the systemic problems. We don't want to highlight the individual non-examples as saying that the system has changed, mm-hmm. right? Like we have, there are some non-examples that, you know, sort of ones that are outside of the norm that are like, Hey, you know, this is someplace where school is happening different. Yeah, and, but that was happening also when you and I were in high school. It just wasn't sure. happening in the high schools we were in, yeah. right? And 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 I mean, to be fair, um, there has been progress. I don't want to make it sound like I'm just saying in general the pattern of schooling hasn't changed much. I do think like things like the NGSS or the, you know, if you compare them to the national science education standards that were from the nineties, that would have been, you know, things that were impacting me, you know, as at least teacher. as a teacher. Yeah. Um, like those, those things are improvements. Like schools look, you know, if you go back to 1950 or 1960, like schools have moved. It's just, you know, it's, it's a giant ship and it moves, it turns slowly. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's frustrating for us as people who want to see schools look different. Um, but there are also reasons for that, right? Because if, if we let schools change quickly, if systems change quickly, then you get a lot of whiplash in schools and, um, and pretty soon people would be exhausted with that too. So, um, so I don't know, it's, it's a, it's a hard problem. But, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Fortunately. 
And that'd be a good transition point. It's a hard problem for us to yeah. talk about the joys of in our world. The joys. Yeah, the things joys. that are bringing us joy. And we should keep track because we always get to this point and it says, whose turn is it? And it's Jeff's always up, your turn. It's easy to remember because it's always your turn. Now. Why is it always my turn? Because you I need the time to think about it. Maybe. But That's, I just. That I, is I just, it. Because I always well, come. If, I but if I to, listen to you, then, then I don't get that time to think. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, well, he's got to yeah okay, i come to class prepared scott that's yeah, how i am right and that's not how i am i'm definitely like a fly by the seat of the pants guy so i come in and i'm like let's see what ollie's gonna drop and then i'll just play off that and well right. i will say uh my joy is and when when this episode drops it's probably going to be nearing the end of its season um but the newest season of fargo is awesome. I, you know, I, I, I saw the movie and this season's, I mean, the, the series is kind of loosely based on it, uh, very loosely, I think, in this, mm. la, this fourth season. Is it the fourth season or fifth season? It's whatever season it is now. now. Um, and it's uh, straight a good bit from this, you know, this um, murder mystery set in Fargo, Fargo, North Dakota. This season's set in 1950s St. Louis, Missouri, uh, or is it Kansas City? It's it's someplace in the Midwest. Why and is it called Fargo? I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of like a that what they're doing now is sort of like the American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. You know, with American Horror Story, they take you know each season's a little different with some of the same. Themes. Yeah, I, I knew so, that. Yeah. I just didn't realize they. Well, Fargo's kind of doing the same thing, and they settled in the 1950s, and it's it's uh, it's a I think set in a week in in this city, uh, either Kansas City or St. Louis. I should have prepared more. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason what drew me to it because I hadn't watched the other seasons is Chris Rock and and Jason Schwartzman is in it, and I love Jason Schwartzman. He's just awesome. And he's a, he's a great actor and he's in a lot of Wes Anderson movies, which I'm a fan mm-hmm. of Wes Anderson. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll give this a, and it's a mob movie in which uh, Jason Schwartzman, uh, he's the head of an Italian family. And then uh, Chris Rock is, you know, the head of another, uh, another crime family. And the two of them are sort of like having this battle and it is so quirky and interesting and awesome that I highly recommend it. And I just watch it and it's just so good. And so if you're, it's on FX, we watch it on Hulu. So, you know, FX on Hulu and FX has been making some really good stuff. So if you haven't seen Miss America earlier in the year, uh, check that out. That was in a pretty awesome series too. So definitely. And so this is season uh, three or four? I, uh, well, as you're checking, I will, I will look okay. to see, you- I'll do some fa- fa- Okay. As you yeah. share yours, I will do some uh, do some sleuthing. You'll sleuth around. Yes. Okay. So while you're sleuthing, so I'm going to pick a TV show as well. Um, even though I don't even know what that means anymore, I will pick a serialized video-based piece of media. Um, and the thing that I'm going to choose is Watchmen, um, which was on HBO. Um, and I'm, it's an oldie in the sense that it's been around for a while. Um, but the reason I'm choosing it and the reason it brings me joy is that I actually, my family and I were watching it together and we actually finished watching it this past weekend. So we, we like started watching it in, I don't know, maybe the before times, January, February. And um, because I was really excited about it, I really wanted to see it. I'm, it's a comic. I'm a comic book nerd. It's a comic book show. What comic yeah. book nerd? 
I know it's true. And uh, so I was like, I really, you know, I heard such good things about it and, um, and it was so timely thematically. And it was really, so I was like, I'm really fired up about this, but I don't know if you have this problem, but we have this problem in my household, which we have four people and depending on the configurations that show up on any given night, we have, uh, it reduces the choice of movies that we, or whatever right. that we can watch. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, we can't watch that because this person isn't here and they want to see it. Or we're in episode three of that series that we're watching in this configuration of three. And there's a yeah. configuration of, so Watchmen was like that in that it we, required all four of us to be present, which sometimes can be very hard. And um, it, it, it is, a, it is, um, it's tough. It's, it's not a, you know, it's not a happy go lucky show. It's a little weird. Um, and so some nights, even when the four of us were together, it was like, man, we're not going to do that. So I am really pleased that we finally finished it and I would highly recommend it. It is weird. Um, I don't think you have to have read the comic to enjoy the series though. I think if you've read the comic, um, you get, more out of the series because you recognize a lot of the callbacks and the characters and the, but it isn't, it is a, it is a sequel to the comic book. So it happens afterwards. Um, but anyway, it, it, so I don't know if, if the show itself brought me as much joy as just finishing the thing with my family this weekend sure. brought me a lot of joy. And I, you know, I have to say I started that and I, I was a big fan of the comic book when I was a, a kid and I was not a big fan of the movie because it was a very weak adaptation of mm -hmm. of the book. Um, however, I didn't make it through the whole series. I made it through the maybe first half of it, mm. and I just was like, okay, I there are some parts that I felt were a little slow, and so maybe I should give it another chance. Um, after doing some fact checking, this is the fourth season of mm -hmm. Fargo. It is set in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Check it out. Um, yeah, yeah. There you and, go. Uh, and I think I said Watchmen's on HBO, but it it, it has it only has one season. And my understanding is there will not be sequels, or if if there will be, it won't be under the the original producer who made right. it. Right. So. It's uh, Damon Lindelhoff. Is that right? Lindelhoff? Yeah, the guy he did Lost. And, yeah. Um, and something else that I'm blanking on, but yeah. One more comic book reference in this. We're on uh, episode fourteen, and probably we still have like a like like a ding, you know, comic book well, reference. I mean, between comic books and podcasts, yeah. it's sort of our core competency. Like we're right in that. Right. Of, yeah. You just nerded out a little bit right there, and that's a good way for us to put a sort of like period at the end of our episode today. What's so, your core competency? Yes, that's it. And that right. could be, that could be the name. <laughs> okay, it could be. Right. Show me your core competency. Oh wow! Look at you. There you go. Right, sneaking Title. in at the end. There. Done. Ding. All right. All right. Well, I okay, see you next time. Yep. In, in between. between. See you then. Bye.